a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And Keith, today we're looking at money laundering. Now, how big a problem and how widespread is money laundering in countries like the US and the UK? It is a major problem and we're gradually beginning to pay more and more attention to it. In fact, it's been estimated that 10% of global GDP is locked up in money laundering schemes. So 10% of the world's money is missing. Well, it's actually, some people know where it is, but it's not available to the general public or to the tax collectors. And a very good book on this uh, has just been published in Melbourne by Scribe called American Kleptocracy how the United States creates the greatest money laundering scheme in history. And Casey Michelle, who's the author, has written a lot about this problem. And then he's obviously brought all his research together into this um, amazing book called American Kleptocracy. Kleptocracy, um, any word with ocracy as a suffix means system of government. So you have aristocracy or democracy, which is ruled by the people, demosocracy. So kleptocracy means that it's ruled by thieves. So klepping, uh, the klepto is derived from the Greek for theft or stealing. So what he's saying is that we're now living in a world where a lot of wealth is just basically stolen by money laundering. So money laundering is another term that needs to be clarified. So money laundering is when you put money through a series of different accounts preferably in other countries, and then bring it back to where you are. Where you are, Like, for example, if I were growing drugs down in southern New South Wales, so I would get a huge amount of cash. By the way, pretty well every $100 bill that we have in this country has, contains traces of, of drugs because the people who are handling the $100 bills are also handling drugs. So it literally Literally, right. yeah. So I refuse to ever have $100 bills because I always regard them as the drug ones. Now, the reason why it's $100, because if you're moving huge sums of money around, you want to have as little paper as possible because of the risk that it could be stolen from you by unscrupulous people. So you, you like to have $100. In fact, um, there's always interesting studies about the number of $100 bills that you should have on you at the moment. And I think that we're around about f- somewhere between five and ten. So are you carrying five $100 bills? I don't carry any cash anymore, <laughs> to be honest, let alone $100 bills. But <laughs> And your children. It's man, woman and child. That's the number of $100 notes that are in circulation. And they're, they're, so that's an indication uh, of the problem. So I, I'm the drug dealer. I'm the one who's acquired all this money and I have to start hiding it. So one of the best ways to do it is to run money through a casino because then I get the winnings, right? And we have a lot of casino inquiries in this country. Anyone who's watched the Netflix show Ozark would have seen this brought to life oh, very right. in a great drama. So yep. that's definitely a recent reference point in <laughs> So I would the then take my winnings from the casino and I would buy um, a painting overseas uh, and then I would sell it again while I overseas. 
So if the police came looking for me, I could just simply say, well, this is because I sold art overseas. So the, And, of course, crime is global, but police forces are local. It sounds like such a simple concept for something that is actually so detailed and complex. It is. So what, and of course, the, as this book brings out, is that you've got a network of professional people who provide services for money launderers. Um, now, at the moment, most regulations are simply binding on banks to get to know their customers. But many other professionals like real estate agents are not obliged to know their customers. So a customer comes to them with a large sum of money, no questions are asked. You just simply say, well, what is it that you want to buy? And uh, this book uh, traces some of the speculation in real estate that's been going on in the United States. So when we talk about money laundering, we tend to think of places uh, like Bermuda because the British government, when these colonies were becoming independent, said, well, look, why don't you go into financial services? And inadvertently, the British government created a number of centres for money laundering. Um, what We had one island a few years ago in the South Pacific that was actually having more money flowing through its banking system in a matter of days than the national budget for an entire year. That just shows how volatile and mobile the money is. So the British thought they were doing a favour to their newly independent colonies um, by encouraging them to go into financial services. So you go to some British, former British colonies and you'll see a building with a whole series of nameplates outside it being the registered office for certain corporations, including ones well known to you. They're all there on the wall. So although they're Australian corporations, they're actually registered overseas. Now, what, what Casey Michelle is doing in this book, American Kleptocracy, is saying, look, um, leave these territories like Bermuda alone. The real problem is we Americans, we're the ones who have facilitated all of this money laundering because of our very poor system of trying to crack down on these ill-gotten gains. And it's interesting that President Biden has recently said money laundering is a really top-of-mind national security issue. It's up there with nuclear war and terrorism because clearly the Americans are doing the sums and they're realising they're losing a lot of money through the money laundering. And what this book does is to show how the American system facilitates kleptocracy. And there are some interesting examples of how money is invested into, for example, factories in some of the exactly. smaller towns that then end up being abandoned. So this is um, the son of um, a West African dictator who um, cornered the market in, I'm not very good at my pop musicians, um, Anyway, this guy not only bought real estate but bought the world supply of memorabilia of this uh, young performer. Um, and, and so this guy accumulated all the money. The U.S. government has gone after him, um, and his name is Theodoran Obiang, um, son of Equatorial Guinea's authoritarian leader. And the book uh, uses uh, this fellow as a case study for how you can launder millions of dollars in illicit funds. Also, they, they were looking at somebody um, from Eastern Europe who bought up factories. And, of course, a lot of the uh, Rust Belt territories uh, were just so overjoyed in um, being able to have foreign investors. But, in fact, this guy was just busy buying and selling factories, just moving the money around. 
Um, so all of this has come to light. What is interesting is that someone like Teodoran Obiang, I checked on him this morning, he's still at large in his father's country, even though they're trying to seize the assets which he'd put into the United States. So, okay, he's going to lose money, but, but he's still got his freedom. He's still in the country. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. And it really is, to your point, if they're going into these towns, in, as that example, it's affecting everyday Americans in terms of jobs in the factories that are then closed down and, and even real estate and the cost of rentals. Absolutely. So in terms of jobs, the people who buy the old factories in the Rust Belt territories uh, just sort of run them at a, at a very um, cheap rate and so you get a whole series of industrial accidents. Because uh, the owners are overseas, they're not worried. Um, so they just want to save money um, and perhaps ultimately just sell the property. In terms of what it does for American, and well, it's not just American, but it's an issue that's coming up generally, it's increasing the price of real estate for people in their own country to be able to buy their own homes in the United States. We've had similar issues emerging in um, parts of Canada the allegations about Chinese money that's gone on. And, and, the Ameri- and the government on the west coast of Canada has just simply said, we will no longer accept money from Chinese investors. If you go down to Melbourne, by the way, or go around Docklands near our Channel 7 studios, you will see uh, apartment buildings that are in darkness at night. In other words, Chinese investors have bought the investment, but they don't bother with tenants. They just want to be able to park their cash somewhere. It's risky leaving their money in a Chinese bank account because the Chinese government might steal it. So what they do is that they send the money overseas and then buy apartments but don't do anything with them. They don't put tenants in them. They don't sell them. They just hold on to them as an asset. So from an Australian point of view or a West Canadian point of view or an American point of view, you're actually at a disadvantage because you're competing against people with very deep pockets who have all sorts of ways of being able to buy property. And remember, it's all legitimate. Um, This guy, Casey Michelle, is not making allegations against uh, many of these individuals. Some of them certainly are corrupt in their own country. But in America, uh, for example, which is the country he looked at, in America, they're able to do all this buying and selling through legitimate law firms, accounting firms, um, because there is no requirement on the part of uh, those companies to check the customs. People arrive with money. Yeah, Mm. we'll we'll be happy to sell you real estate. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tannick and Keith, today we're talking about money laundering. So how hard is it to investigate or follow the trail of money when it comes to international money laundering? It's very difficult to follow the money. That's that's uh, the, the problem because um, once money moves from one country to another, it, no police force can follow it very easily. Uh, you do have non-governmental organisations like Transparency International, which try to monitor um, in general terms what is happening. And, of course, you do end up with um, leaks of confidential documents like the Pandora Papers or the Paradise Papers which are actual documents relating to clients' transactions, which somehow fall off the back of a truck and end up in cyberspace. But um, one of the complaints is that this type of investigative journalism 
is very complicated and is just simply not welcomed unless you're a really big media outlet. Like The Guardian, for example, has been very active in a lot of these exposures. The Atlantic magazine in, in the United States also publishes material. So they have writers who do this. But from an ordinary um, journalist's point of view, you've got to file a story tonight and hunting down all this money is far too complicated. So it's much easier to deal with a local murder or something like that rather than trying to follow all of this money. So this is going on. Remember, we're talking about potentially 10% of global uh, money is is being held through this mo- these money laundering schemes. Huge amount of money. And I think the average person is unaware of that. Now, I mean, you mentioned the Pandora Papers, which was an investigation by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. So they uncovered a lot of information. But to your point, it doesn't translate well to clicks. And some of the information is very detailed and hard to digest, as is pointed out. So it, it's very difficult to uncover this money laundering, even if you do have the resources to investigate. Exactly. And so that's why I think a lot of ordinary people are unaware of just how big this problem is, um, unless, of course, they're watching Netflix or whatever. They, <laughs> might, <laughs> they might get a bit of an idea watching crime programs um, or like ABC Four Corners, which has investigated some of the problems with casinos in this country. Um, so we've seen some investigations, but don't forget that uh, we have the, the best politicians that money can buy. And so in the United States, it's actually very difficult to get action by politicians because the money just buys them. And it, it is interesting that in the last few weeks, we've had a 38-page a strategy document laying out how the United States will fight corruption and kleptocracy. Um, one of the right, this is um, Casey Michelle writing as a journalist in another outlet. The document is in many ways a watershed, not just in the United States, but internationally. In addition to the laundry list of policy pushes, transparency in real estate and private equity, new regulations on lawyers and trust providers, and plenty more, the document recognizes the clear reality that the United States is a significant destination for the laundered proceeds of illicit activity, including corruption. Moreover, the policy document specifically identifies American lawyers, accountants, trust providers, and other American enablers as key nodes in transnational money laundering networks. And so this, so the, we know now what needs to be done, but the problem is getting the enough political will. And if you're like President Biden, you're, you're more worried about Ukraine than taking on uh, this issue, particularly as, of course, some of these people may well be major donors, well, in this case, the Democrat Party or or Trump's Republican Party. Well, you raise a good point, because why hasn't the US or the UK helped change the rules to date or change the system with better laws and enforcement? You know, it could have been done, but it hasn't because there's a lot of people enabling and involved. Absolutely. And, um, you know, these are a lot of them are just ordinary people doing their, their everyday job. So they, you know, the, the lawyers and the accountants, et cetera, uh, wouldn't see themselves as being cr- involved in criminal activity. They they don't ask questions about their their customers that they're not obliged to do. So banks are now um, expected to know a little more about what their customers are doing, how they're getting their money. That's banks. But real estate agents just simply treat you as somebody who's got a lot of money to spend on real estate. 
and I'm not going to ask any questions. So are we likely to see more transparency from not just financial institutions, but some of these wider institutions involved? Is that what's needed? It's, it's, it's what's needed. And it may be that the Biden administration will make more of an issue on this. Remember, Biden has said this is up there now with nuclear weapons and terrorism in terms of being uh, threats to American national security. And I agree with the president. It is a really major issue. It'll be interesting to see if this uh, 38-page strategy document in the United States is actually followed through and Biden is willing to take on the big financial interests, the accounting firms, which are household names. You know, the, the accounting firms are, you know, they are well known to people, the big law firms, et cetera. It's going to require a lot of moral courage. Biden will say, well, look, I've only got a certain amount of political capital to use and I've got so many other issues, but we now know what needs to be done. It'll be interesting to see if it ever does get done. And uh, what about the kleptocrats themselves? Where will it leave them? Is it likely to stop them in their tracks? No. And as we know with uh, this guy from um, uh, West Africa, um, he would just simply find other countries on which to invest the money. What you need is to have international collective action. Now, if the Americans set an example for this, uh, they will uh, grudgingly, no doubt, draw the British and the other West Europeans along with them. And so this, this could be a turning point with this 38-page document. So in the last few weeks, we've seen perhaps uh, the beginning of a new era in trying to crack down on kleptocrats. Certainly a very complex problem with far-reaching consequences. Keith, fascinating chat. I look forward to our chat next week. And I'm going to get you to hum a few bars of that pop star and we're going to try and figure out who it is. <laughs> you know him very well. He's next the guy who does the moonwalk. Um, not Michael Jackson, Michael really. Jackson. Michael yep. Jackson. And so this this guy from uh, Equatorial Africa has, has got the world's monopoly on Michael Jackson right, okay. memorabilia. Well, we've solved the big question of the day. Look forward to the next episode of Global Truths. Good. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Listener.